This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Furminger. People with disabilities work in the film and television industry. People with disabilities watch film and television. These aren't exactly revelatory statements, but maybe they are for you. On this podcast, we've spoken about disability and accessibility in episodes about mental health and also where they've been relevant to a film worker's career journey. But we haven't dedicated an entire episode to disability and accessibility which is egregious when you consider that 6.2 million Canadians live with some form of disability. So we're going to rectify that today and in upcoming episodes. October is Disability Employment Awareness Month. It seems like as good a time as any to launch this series within our series, which we hope will elevate and amplify the voices of film workers who live with disability and also get allies thinking about how they can make this industry accessible for all. And we begin this journey with Amy Amanti. Amy is a Vancouver-based artist, an actor, and an advocate for persons with disabilities. Amy spends her time volunteering in the community, enhancing accessibility, and creating awareness around sight loss. And she has generously agreed to spend some time with us today. Amy Amanti. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. It's a real joy to be invited, Sabrina. Thank you so much. Amanti. Love that. (laughs) All right. So tell me about your connection to the film and television industry then. Let's start with Yeah, I'll tell you that uh, ever since I was a small child, I think my parents recognized right away that I was, uh, I had the kind of energy that needed to be harnessed into acting. Um, Mm. So I was thrown into those kinds of courses and and stuff at a very, very young age. Uh, I always knew I wanted to work in film and television. And so I started officially doing that work roughly in 2000, 2001. And then I've kind of Mm. been off and on um, because I started doing my work in film and television when I didn't have a disability. Mm. And I have found that there have been so many barriers that it's like, okay, I'll go back and I'll try. Nope, barrier. I think I'll put my energy into something else, right? And I'll go back and I'll try. Oh, nope, barriers. I'll put my energy into something else. Mm. So as much as I have tried to embark back into it sort of on a, you know, like a more full-time basis, um, the barriers for me living with legal blindness um, are 
are, I know they feel insurmountable in some ways. Let's start with language then. Um, And maybe I'm just feeling all awkward uh, because I've never spent a podcast episode talking about this before, you know, whereas if I'm talking about mental health, I could talk about that all day long because I live with it and I've, I, and I've learned the language to talk about it, but I don't know how to talk about this. So when we talk about disability and accessibility, like what language should we be using? And can we also talk about the damage done by using the wrong words and incorrect language? Yeah, I mean, language is one of those things that is ever evolving, ever changing. Mm. Um, You know, there are some best practices, but it also changes very much sort of regionally and geographically, you know, in in BC, in Canada, um, around the world, right? So I'm sure I always start the language conversation with that caveat, because I think it's important that what comes out of my mouth isn't the be all and end all of language, right? Mm. Um, There's sort of two schools of thought with language around the disability experience. One is person first language. So you introduced, uh, you know, as a person with a disability. And the other is identity first language, which is disabled person. Mm. Um, I tend to use both. Uh, I'm quite fluid with my language. Uh, but person first is is uh, looking at, at me as a person before you see my disability. Mm. Um, and disabled is uh, uh, like a reclaiming of the word disabled, where disabled folks are kind of saying, look, I'm not disabled. It's the environment that is disabling. I would submit that for folks who aren't in the disability community, um, deferring to or defaulting, I suppose, to person with disability will offend the least number of people. And the convention around that is if you identify with person with a disability, you may be offended by disabled person. If you identified as disabled person, you're likely not going to be offended by being referred to as a person first. Right. So it's like if you use the highest bar of language, we offend the least number of people. Mm. And we could totally get into the weeds about like ableist microaggressions, um, you know, with experiencing mental health, this might resonate with you. Um, but things like crazy, insane, stupid, moron, those things are are largely tied to, I, I will say antiquated, but like diagnostic terms. Um, and so I have really seen some folks, some community members be highly impacted uh, when somebody says things like, oh, this is driving me crazy or this you know, mm. making me go insane. And it's like for folks who are experiencing that, um, you know, it doesn't take much when the outside world tells you that your experience is bad because those are all negative connotations. Right. Um, mm. That that really can affect a person's self-identity, self-worth. And I have seen that happen in real time, just as I have seen folks be impacted by um, being misgendered when we say, hey, guys, and it's like, mm, not everybody identifies mm. with that term. So, you know, we don't often think about it unless we have folks in our environments that are experiencing these kinds of microaggressions, yeah. um, but they can be profoundly harmful. And I, too, am actively changing my language around things like um, racist experiences. Mm. So I, uh, I'll share with you, like, the term nitty gritty, which we probably use so often, I'm telling you, Google nitty gritty and racism and find the origin of that word and that, that phrase, and you'll never mm. use it again. Um, when yeah. I, when I did that, I found that highly impactful and would understand immediately what harm that could do to a person. Um, and it's unintentional. Like we use those phrases and we don't intend to do harm, yeah. but that is, you know, we are asked to do the work. You identify that right at the top, right? Yeah. Like the work. 
So uh, to be allies, you know, um, you don't know what you don't know, but once you know what you didn't know, how do you make active change? Yes. What a wonderful way to put it. Um, this is a, in some ways a very uh, simply worded question, but it's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, you alluded, alluded, you alluded to it uh, before, uh, but I would like to just have you explicitly state it one way or the other. Okay, so here, here it is. Here it is. With all that lead up, is the Vancouver film and television industry accessible for people with disabilities? I'm going to say that it probably depends largely on what your disability is. Mm. Um, There are lots of folks that I know that are working actively in the industry that have invisible disabilities. So Mm. sometimes we refer to folks um, like that as like the ability to pass. It's a privilege to be able to not have to say, um, yes, I live with disability. Do not have to out yourself. I am a blind person. I use a white cane. Um, you're going to see me coming with my white cane. I'm not going to be able to pass as able-bodied. Mm. Um, I also identify with chronic pain and neurodivergence. Those things you don't see uh, when you look at me. So, um, you know, there's a part of me that kind of says, hey, folks, for those of you that identify with invisible disability, out yourself, because it helps the rest of us who can't get um, accessibility. Mm. It helps us. But then I also understand the stigmatization that goes with that, right? Oh my gosh, I just identified that I uh, live with ADHD, for example. And so now people aren't going to want to work with me because they're going to think that um, I can't do my job. So those Mm. stigmatizations are so, um, they're they're still so relevant and front and center in the industry that it forces folks to almost be closeted when we really, you know, would be lovely uh, to celebrate the roughly 25% of us in Canada that live with disability um, because we don't see representation in a lot of places, right? So Mm. for me, you're going to see me coming um, and, and sets are all sorts of things. Like when I go onto a set and do some, you know, background work, um, I've got to navigate usually large parking lots that have, um, you know, your your trailers in them or your bathroom trailers in them. Those trailers often have stairs up into them. So if you were a wheelchair user, I don't know where you're going to find a bathroom. Um, oftentimes, if you're doing background work, you're asked to bring your own wardrobe. So there's me hmm. as a blind person traveling on transit, dragging a suitcase, going to an area that I don't know, um, you know, signing the, the contracts and the paperwork when you get there and, and there's nobody there to support that. So I'm not reading the printed word. I don't know what it is that that is posted on the wall or call times, any of that. Um, so those things have not been largely accessible for me um, for a long time. And it's been a big barrier in terms of me feeling comfortable doing the work. How safe do you feel in those situations to point out the barriers? <sighs> oh, Sabrina, that's such a big question. As human beings, we approach our um, disclosure in very different ways, Um, how we talk about our disabilities, how we disclose, how we identify all of those pieces. I would say for me personally, um, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the places that I feel the most unsafe is the audition room. When I go for casting calls. So, you know, like this is how it starts typically with me. Uh, I, I respond to a casting call I get sent a set of sides. Uh, The sides are usually in PDF. They're also usually in Times New Roman font. Mm. uh, And they are often watermarked. 
Um, so then I have to email back and say, you know, I'm legally blind. Can you please send this to me in, in a Word document? That way I can change the font style, change the font color, magnify the font any which way that's going to work for me. Um, oh, no, no, I can't have those in a Word document for privacy reasons. Mm. Okay, so then I get a set of sides and I can't get them in an accessible format. And this boggles my mind just a little bit because sometimes I'm auditioning for blind characters. And it's like <sighs> you they're specifically looking for a blind actor and they still can't provide, you know, accessible materials. Um, oh. so then there's that battle, right? Um, you know, there's the showing up in the room. There's the which way is the camera pointed? Where's my sight line? Who am I reading with? Um, you know, those kinds of things, how you respond to somebody who's reading with you if you can't read their body language um, and then not feeling like a ridiculous human because you're not receiving those same cues um, and able to respond to them. Because what that looks like is that you're an actor that's unprepared, that you didn't prepare to come in, mm. um, you know, and that is not like I, I uber prepare. Um, mm -hmm. but there are some things that I just can't, um, can't avoid in those rooms. And then the person on the other side of the camera or the casting director doesn't understand, you know, what it even took in terms of my, my spoons, right? If we go back to spoon theory and, and, and stamina, how, how much work and labor it took me with my lived experience of disability to actually get into the space, mm. um, that whole journey from my from my bed in the morning to the space where I audition is riddled with barriers, mm. just daily barriers, right? And so by the time you're there, you're like, okay, I am at low capacity. But people just look at that as um, unprofessional, unprepared, not sort of looking at the systemic issues that, re that are related. And for some folks with disabilities, you know, they may get one or two auditions a year, whereas, you know, your able-bodied, um, colleague actors are getting two auditions a week, right. right? So they're much more familiar with the process, you know, what a slate is, all those kinds of things. If you haven't done a slate in a, in a year, you're like, oh, geez, do I remember what I do in a slate? Um, mm. So, I mean, those are some of the biggest barriers. And that's even before I hit hit a set, you know, once you're on a set, then it's like, you know, can I walk around the set a little bit before uh, we shoot just to get my bearings? You know, um, without without feeling like I'm the burden that's tying the money and the time up, and that for me makes me feel uncomfortable and unsafe to be able to speak up. There are some things I can speak up to really clearly about, and as an individual, I am I'm growing, I'm building to be able to be more of a self advocate in that capacity because I am in 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 the other uh, facets of my life. But you are exactly right, Sabrina, when you say that. Um, the risk of of losing work of not building relationships of looking like you are are going to be taking up more time and more money than than they want to deal with um means that i feel like i'm like one one foot in and one foot out right mm. what are we losing by not having an accessible industry here in vancouver wow um i think you know if we go back to close to 25% of the population identifying with disability, we're losing authenticity. We're mm -hmm. losing representation. Um, you know, so if we go back to the stories that have been told with a, a, a disability experience in mind. So I first think of things like Daniel Day-Lewis, My Left Foot. I think about um, Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man. I think of Eddie Raymond, Eddie Raymond and um, 
uh, I don't know, playing Stephen Hawking, right? Right. Um, so these are all able-bodied folks playing disabled characters. And many times people will say to me, well, come on, like, are we supposed to have real cops playing cops and real doctors playing doctors? And I say, well, no, because those are professions. And folks that are living with disability, that's a lived experience. It's not a job, it's not a profession. So just like we don't appropriate other people's um, racial backgrounds, you know, the systemic relationship to disability means that there's a whole bunch of things in our uh, our historical past, you know, forced sterilization, um, residential schools, beatings, all of those kinds of things, um, you know, the, the, the murder of folks, you know, uh, oh God, like I think about it in it and it makes me want to cry mm-hmm. where I haven't experienced a lot of these things personally. Um, I know what it feels like to be denied access to education, to medical systems, to those kinds of things. So that all comes with the journey of the disability experience, right? Mm-hmm. So when I look at when I look at um, my left foot, for example, or even even Rain Man, I think about the appropriation of disability. I think an autistic man looks like this. I think somebody with cerebral palsy looks like this. It becomes to me a bit of a mockery. Yeah. Um, and they always win awards. They always win awards for these things. Yeah, that's but, why, and that's why they do it, right? Like that's it, it can that's, be. Yeah. yeah, it can be. Yeah, uh, look at yeah. that. And and the rest of the able-bodied world is because I mean, like, look at all the tropes in these stories, right? It's like you you either hate your life because you live with disability, uh, you know, uh, scent of a woman, right? Um, or or you are the superhero that is uh, transforming from like the phoenix out of the ashes, um, or or you're a, or you're a supervillain. Like, there's all these tropey things, and never do we just see programming that's like, you know, oh look, there's a a, a scene where. Um, I don't know, somebody's running for mayor and there's all the constituents there and all the community there. Where are the folks that are using wheelchairs? Where are the folks mm-hmm. using walkers? Where are the folks with guide dogs, right? Like we're not even 25% of representation <laughs> in background work. Mm. So we lose authenticity. Um, this is in front of the camera, behind the camera, at our writing, you know, in the writer's rooms. Um, because you also have people that are writing stories that aren't authentic because they're not from our voice. Right. Um, and sometimes I hear from the disability community that it's like, yes, I really want to be cast in the roles that are written for disability, but I also just want to be cast in a role where you, where disability is, is like where we see your wheelchair, but we never talk about it. Yes. It's just a thing. Just right? exi- just existing, having, just, all, <laughs> just existing, having a life and being, you know, yeah. as, as funny and flawed and fucked up as everybody else, right. because that's what yeah. it means to be a human being, right? Yeah. yeah, we want, we love flawed characters. We absolutely do. But when we talk about flawed characters in relationship to disability, they're flawed because of disability, right? Mm, That's yeah. the thing. As opposed or they're to the signifier. Flawed. You mentioned or, one yeah. of one of the tropes as somebody who I do love superhero movies, but you know, if if I immediately if I immediately see, you know, the person with the, you know, some kind of like wound on their face or scar on their face, I'm like, really? You're gonna make that's the bad person? Like that's that's you're yeah. gonna make that person the the bad guy. Like yeah. that no not no 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 um you know and because we if we know better then we can do better so we sh- we should be well we should get the knowledge and then and then do better are there any um 
any like do you want to shout out any uh television shows or um or characters like where they're getting it right you know where you're you're like yay like this is this is what it's this is what it means to you know exist in the world as a person with a disability i'm i'm gonna say i i you know getting it right i'll use air quotes because i you know I don't know that there's ever that that is that that's actually a thing, um, oh. but I will say that um, so there's an Apple TV Plus series called C S E E, yeah, and 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 yeah, right. Um, it's a very interesting show. What's interesting about it now? They are they are going in the right direction. I would say that you know, like Jason Momoa is playing a blind character, and he's not mm-hmm. a blind man. They do. They have made very purposeful efforts to hire a bunch of people for uh, with, from within the blind community to play parts. They're not necessarily leading parts or recurring roles, mm-hmm. um, but you know it's a step in the right direction. Um, but what is interesting to me about that show is that these folks. The premise of the show is that all humanity has lost has has lost eyesight, um, and and they've been living with this for hundreds of years, right? So we are seeing warriors in battle. Blind, mm, yeah right so it's not poor me i'm blind blah 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 it is uh, fighters building civilizations um and so it's like blindness is empowerment mm. um, and then when sighted people appear right and they're like all of a sudden i don't know something changes in the genome and uh and there are some sightlings that are, are you know they're hunted yeah hunted right um they're a threat to the civilization. So it's, you know, it's opposite of something like the show play slash show uh, slash book um, uh, blindness, which is, uh, you know, uh, an epidemic of blindness that happens and a bunch of people get isolated because they've gone blind and they don't want to, you know, the rest of the world doesn't want to be contaminated by blindness. And then they're, they're in this isolation place with one sighted person and that sighted person is doing everything. Oh, they're making sure that these people are fed and like the civilization within this quarantine space is just broken down because these blind folks can't do anything to help themselves mm. uh, to the extent where they are toileting like in the corners of rooms instead of using bathrooms. Yeah. And so what does, you know, how does that paint a community of people? Hmm. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's very tropey. And then I think at the end of that book slash movie, spoiler alert, you know, the sight sight comes back and it's like, oh, thank goodness we're saved. We have our sight again. You know, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that's kind of the premise is, oh, we can all go back to normal because we're sighted and uh, and that's what we need to survive. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm there with you in retching for sure. That is just that is just awful. So blindness, bad. C, good. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, no, we talked about language as one of the places where we can we being the film and television industry can can start, you know, to just make the industry more accessible, right? Like that, that's basically what, what should be the desired outcome mm-hmm. outcome is accessibility. So what are some other, some other places, you know, where we can, we can just start fixing things for the better. I will say that um, two things I'll, I'll start this conversation with that I think you'll find interesting, which is the disability community is one that anybody can join at any time. It's a little bit like a membership club, right? Mm. It doesn't discriminate. 
So uh, I woke up one day and I was experiencing disability. Uh, I am a white woman. I will not wake up tomorrow and experience what it's like to be a person of color. I won't. But we are all, all susceptible to being uh, members of this club. So mm. why we don't look at accessibility as this could be myself, this could be my kid, this could be my parent, this could be my grandparent, right? Why we're not looking at accessibility with the lens that, because um, right now we're looking at it like, well, I don't need this right now. So, but you may, mm. you're not promised a body that is free of injury or illness for the, for your, the entirety of your life. Um, so that is, 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 is one, you know, one piece of the, of the puzzle. Um, the biggest barrier that folks with disabilities face is the attitudinal barrier. It's the hardest barrier to break, but it's the attitudes of other people. And it also is, is sort of rampant within the disability community. There's also internalized ableism and a disability hierarchy where we, you know, where, where, where some folks with disabilities have more privilege over other folks, right? Like there's all these sort of systems within systems. Um, but if the, if the, if the, if the attitudinal barrier is one of the most difficult to break, it's about having people with disabilities in your spaces, learning from us, learning with us, right? Doing the work with us. And then once you become an ally and once you have these conversations, you know, nothing about us without us, invite us to the table, have these mm -hmm. conversations. You're gonna start to see things in your environment, in your everyday, like you'll go into your home and you'll be like, oh geez, I've got two steps up to my front door. That's not very accessible. Or you know um like you just like things pop into your mind that you didn't think about or wouldn't have occurred to you beforehand i always say to folks you know when we're when we people with disabilities aren't in your spaces you forget about us and i don't necessarily think it's because you're actively trying to forget about us um but you know like i was working with an organization and they had a um an exit you know a, an emergency exit sort of strategy and it was like down a set of stairs and across the street and up a medium and it's, and it's like, okay, how do you get there if you're Amy? How do you get there? And that well, we don't, you know, we don't have anybody using a wheelchair, anybody who's blind. Right, because I wasn't there. So you weren't thinking about me. Mm. So that's, you know, that's the, that's the mindset that we have to get ourselves into. And then we can think about things like, you know, how many stairs and, and is our, our, our um, makeup rooms accessible and all of those things, you know, um, the other thing I would say that that's likely a barrier for folks in the industry is just is just the touch barrier um, and the questions. Everybody wants to know how I lost my sight. Hmm. It's none of your damn business, right? Mm -hmm. um, if I want to share that with you, I will share that with you. But it's not something that we are uh, invited to ask other people, uh, especially when you're strangers. I get asked this question on the bus all the time. Oh, you're blind. How did that happen? Hmm. You wouldn't believe I get asked, I get asked all sorts of things, Sabrina, how I have sex, if I like it with the lights on. This is coming from a place oh. of curiosity of able-bodied folks, because blindness is the number one feared disability amongst the human race. Hmm. Um, you can you can kind of foresee how you might live your life if you're using a wheelchair, right? Oh, I could still drive a car, I can still go to the theater, you know, uh, yeah. but you can't really see how you're going to live your life if you lose your sight tomorrow. How do I cook my food? How do I make my clothes match? How do I brush my teeth? All the fundamental things, you know, that you, you grow up, you know, learning. So that's right. That's where the curiosity comes from. And everybody thinks they're trying to make a connection. You know, I, I, I see you. I really, I see you. I'd like to have a conversation with you. And then they ask the most absurd questions <laughs> that just make me feel like I, I'm, you know, not a human being.
But then as the artist in me, I turn that into an art piece. So I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to welcome in all the sucky stuff that people say. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to make an art piece out of that. And I do. Yeah. So be warned people who ask That's Amy right. awful questions. You're going to be content. Um, Amy, what words of wisdom or advice do you have for a person with disability who is considering entering this film and television industry, an industry that is evolving, uh, that is in flux, but is also still, you know, has a long ways to go. What do you say to them? I think that 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 right there is the number one point. Maybe come a long way, but there's a long way to go. So if you're going to enter these spaces and I hate to put the work on the person with the disability because it's not our job, really. But knowing that these spaces are already toxic to a certain extent um, can be helpful, especially for things like an audition space. So, you know, when I was trained as an actor before my disability, um, rejection is a real thing. So you have to manage how you're going to, you know, uh, I didn't get the role is because I'm too short, too chubby, you know, don't have the right hair, you know, whatever it is, you, your, your, so your internal dialogue goes off and tells you that, you know, you're wrong in all sorts of ways for being rejected from the role. Hmm. Not that a thousand people auditioned for this role and it was really hard to choose one. Right. Um, uh, You know, and when the right role comes for you, the right role comes for you. And it's a bit of a slog. So I think, you know, most of the people that I know with disabilities who are interested in the industry want to be in front of the camera. Um, There's a small number of them that want to be, you know, like in the writer's rooms and behind the camera. I think, you know, seeking out training and there's another barrier right there because often that's not accessible, but Mm -hmm. finding training opportunities, finding mentorship opportunities is going to be your ally into this and i would just say like learn as much as you can about the industry and if you go into the industry and it's not for you that's okay it's okay Mm. um i think oftentimes we look at ourselves as if we're failures um, especially in the with a disability experience i didn't get because i am um that that it that it's okay you know that it's okay that's not about you yeah and that's really more about about protecting your protecting yourself right how we how we do how we manage self care, um, because there's no one size fits all answer to that. Yeah, Amy Amanti. Gosh, I hope I said that correctly. Um, you did. Yay! Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you very much. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Follow you on social <laughs> media, or if they want. <laughs> you know, to, to work with you in some way? Yeah. Um, I would say that I, I have a very limited social media presence, um, mostly because there are many barriers to some of these programs and not being screen reader accessible. Um, so the one that's the most accessible is now the one that most folks aren't using, which is Facebook. Um, mm. and, I, and I'm simply under Amy Amanti and it is spelled like a uh, man drinking tea, A M A N T E A. Yeah. So Excellent. Okay, and uh, I will include a link to anything related to Amy in the footnotes for this episode. Thank you. The YBR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for creating our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Devilly for the original music. 
Wabir Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Find us on all the socials at Wabir Screen Scene and at Sabrina Arpf on Apple Podcasts and everywhere you listen to podcasts for free and at our home on the web at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.